Welcome to today's episode of Music Therapy Cardcast. Today's episode is titled Student and Professional Burnout, and we are going to spend some time today diving into just that. We are going to give a bit of insight on what stress and burnout looks like from a student perspective and things to be aware of on that end. And we are also going to hear from a wonderful professional, Erin Haney, MTBC, on managing stress and burnout as a professional. Erin gave a presentation on student and intern burnout at the AMTA National Conference back in 2019. So we are very excited to have our input for our episode today. Before we dive into all of that, we are going to introduce the hosts of today's episode, which are all music therapy students at the University of Louisville. My name is Elise Scullin. I am a senior music therapy student. I'm Katie Radke, a fourth year music therapy student. I'm Cece Dyer, and I'm a senior music therapy student. And I'm Jillian Stift. I'm a second year equivalency music therapy student. All right, so as we previously mentioned, today we're gonna to be talking about both student and professional burnout, what that might look like, and then how we can handle it. Ideally, by the end of this episode, we want listeners to be able to identify what burnout is and what it might look like, assess what factors lead to burnout, and also to determine what strategies that we discuss might be most helpful for them when confronting burnout in their own lives. The Oxford Dictionary defines burnout as a physical or mental collapse caused by overwork or stress. It was originally coined as it was related to those in helping professions. It is commonly associated with compassion fatigue, which is defined by goodtherapy.org as the process of absorbing the trauma and emotional stresses of others, creating a secondary trauma stress in the helper. Essentially, compassion fatigue is when someone in a helping profession or position intakes so much of the stress and emotion of others that some of that stress falls onto them and can leave them with an inability to resolve their own emotions or problems. Both burnout and compassion fatigue can lead people to experience many mental and physical symptoms such as chronic physical and emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, feelings of inequity toward the therapeutic relationship they're fostering, irritability, feelings of self-contempt, difficulty sleeping, weight loss, headaches, and even lower job satisfaction. So we all had to choose this project uh, and this topic together. What are some of the reasons that you all decided to join this group? Yeah, um, I actually did um, a research project um, two semesters ago, I guess, all about um, student burnout and what that might look like um, and ways that we can combat that. And the results that I got from, I mean, the university-wide poll that I conducted was just that all of the students were feeling immense amounts of burnout. And so I just think it's super important to 
put that research out there and talk about it and like destigmatize this entire um, thing of like, oh, we ha we're in college, we need to be on top of it all the time, and like we can't be feeling burnt out when in reality, a lot of us are feeling all of these things at once, and it's really hard to cope with it um, when there's not a ton of resources out there to help us. I agree. And I think burnout is a word that gets thrown around a lot. But at the same time, when you look at the root definition of it and what it really means, it is very applicable, especially to the student lifestyle. Um, I did a similar research project focusing more on the mental health side of things. And the research that I found and the data that I found on just the stress levels that students undergo was remarkable. Um, and I think that looking at what really causes burnout, especially in students and how we confront that is something that's really important to talk about because, you know, students that are burnt out, they go into the professional world and then become professionals that are burnt out. So if we can figure out a way to develop healthy self-care habits and healthy ways to confront burnout as students, then it might make your professional life a heck of a lot easier. The reason that I wanted to join this group and talk about this topic really comes down just to me feeling burnt out. And um, I was burnt out at the time that we chose the topic. If I'm being honest, still feel burnout now. Um, and really just wanted to learn more about the topic, learn more about what burnout actually is, the effects it can have, and really hope maybe that through learning about this topic, I can find ways to combat it, especially as I'm going into internship and then hopefully becoming a professional after that. You know, Jillian, I completely agree. I also wanted to learn more about something that I experience and I know is not just uh, unique to music therapy students, interns, and professionals. It's it's uh, a lot of people, especially in the helping profession. Um, I have several friends who are in different types of helping professions from music therapy, specifically in the medical field. And the systems that we have in place to teach these young people don't seem sustainable because they do really just wear us down. And you know, especially in the last year, because unfortunately we've been in a global pandemic, I've been extremely burnt out. And for me, it's been all about like learning how burnout is treated and how it's prevented, especially with everyday things that you need to do for yourself to take care of yourself. Before we jump into this topic a little more, I do want to give a quick shout out to some of the sources we used. Um, we did use quite a bit, but you know, I want to focus on the two main ones we used. We had a whole class discussion surrounding them, and they just gave us a lot of helpful information to talk about. So our first research article that we used is a survey of music therapy students' perceived stress and self-care practices. And that was done by Dr. Carolyn Moore, um, MTBC, and Dr. Lindsay Wilhelm, MTBC. 
The study looked at a sample of just under 400 music therapy students across the nation and determined what types of self-care was most commonly practiced, as well as their stress levels. The study found that students appeared to have higher stress levels than previously thought and simultaneously engaged in lower amounts of self-care. The second study that we dove into was titled Personality, Burnout, and Longevity Among Professional Music Therapists by Dr. Victoria P. Verga, uh, MTBC. The study looked at the trends between common personality factors in MTBCs and how that related to burnout and longevity in the field. They found that personality factors like anxiety versus dominance show a trend as far as susceptibility to burnout and that the biggest contributors to longevity were pay and degree level. So seeing as that we are all still students, uh, we thought it would be really important to look at this issue from both our own perspective as well as from the professional perspective. Uh, these two resources give us a really great start on both of those fronts, and it allows for some breakthroughs when it came to discussions with other students. Um, so I know I mentioned that we had a discussion in one of our courses based around some of these sources. And, you know, one of the first questions that we asked our colleagues was, what do you feel are the biggest factors that lead to student burnout? Um, so do any of you want to talk on what you feel or what some of our classmates mentioned? Um, I think one of the things that really stuck out to me is combining your own personal life and having, you know, just general life stressors outside of school coming together with your school stressors. And then also a lot of us have jobs outside of school to pay for our lives and then not being able to deal with that stress because we just like physically don't feel like we have the time just like a general sense of being overwhelmed constantly. So that was really one of the things that stuck out and spoke to me because I feel that 100%. I completely agree, Katie. I think that another thing to um, think about when it comes to burnout, specifically in the music therapy field, I mean, in any field in general, is the amount of coursework that we are required to do that might not line up with things that we're going to be doing in the future. And so while that coursework is very important, it tends to sit on the forefront maybe, and we put a lot of our uh, time and focus into things that, you know, may cause extra outside stressors. And then when it comes time to doing, you know, our actual coursework, it's like we're so tired. It's just so much work in a four and a half year, pretty much four year timeline. Uh, regarding school and coursework. And then on top of that, completing a six-month internship that a lot of times is unpaid. Um, and that's another discussion. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just the amount of coursework that we are required to do and the amount of effort that we put into that um, can cause a lot of fatigue. Yeah, so Cece, I don't think you're wrong in mentioning that um, there are some special things when it comes to music therapy degrees in general, um, and specifically music degrees. We take a lot of credit hours that we end up having to put in more than the actual credit hour is worth. 
So, you know, we may be in an ensemble that's worth a single credit hour, but we meet four times a week for an hour and still have to practice outside of that and are expected to go to and perform at concerts that it's not during our class time. Um, And that's just one example. From the burnout inventory that we gave to our class, um, we took a online burnout inventory and just had everybody fill it out and see what their results were. Um, One of the questions, or it was like agree or disagree, one of the uh, prompts was there's more work to do than I have the ability to do. I really resonated with that one in general. I think not only do we have our coursework, um, I personally am working um, an almost full-time job. I work 35 to 40 hours a week on top of being a full-time student. Um, And I just feel like I can only give so much of myself. Um, And so working out what is the biggest priority, sometimes things fall to the wayside. I think especially for music therapy students in particular, there is the pressure and, you know, rightfully so to be advanced in a lot of areas. You know, you need to be advanced in your psych coursework. You need to be advanced on your personal instrument as well as typically piano and guitar. And while those are all really important things to be proficient in, it's a lot of pressure. And, you know, if you're also juggling a job on top of that, if you're also juggling random jet ed courses or just other courses that you need to take, that can be a lot. And um, I know one of the students that we talked to mentioned that with music therapy specifically, there is a very rigid schedule to follow. You know, there's a lot of classes. And, you know, when you start in this degree, if you don't come in with any credits, you are essentially locked into a four-year schedule that you can't take anything extra and you can't take anything out. Um, And so I think that's where, you know, institutionally there may be some causes of stress that might set students up for success or might set them up from failure just in terms of giving students a lot at once and students figuring out whether or not they can handle it and what they do need to sacrifice and what they do need to choose. Like you were saying, Jillian, you know, it's all fine and good to take 21 credit hours a semester, but you might have to sacrifice working, which a lot of students don't have the ability to do that. And so when those things come head to head, I think that can cause a lot of stress. And, you know, a lot of stress is what ultimately leads to someone being fully burnt out. Piggybacking off of that, um, I know for me personally and a lot of my other friends in music therapy, um, I don't think that there's been one semester where I haven't taken at least 17 and a half credits. And so I know that for performance majors, this is kind of segueing into a little bit of a different topic, but for performance majors, they are actually um, given an opportunity to take a class on burnout and um, the effectiveness of learning when your body and your mind is tired and when you need to take a break and not to, you know, add another course into all of the classes that we're required to take. But I think that it could be pretty beneficial if the university allowed for us to um, engage in something like that and to take a class with someone 
who um, could teach us those methods. And, you know, um, I know in their class, they do a little bit of meditation beforehand. They work with their mind and their body and uh, they learn exactly when they need to take a break. And it's okay to take breaks. And I think especially uh, being college students, being full-time students, working part-time, it's really hard for us to like accept that we're allowed to take breaks because in the back of our minds, we think, oh, I'm taking this break. I'm not going to be getting my assignments done. I'm not going to be progressing the way that I want to be. And I think that that's also something that contributes to um, the high levels of burnout and stress that we deal with. I definitely agree, Cece. I think the biggest thing that all institutions can do, not just, you know, our university in particular, but, you know, workplaces um, and other educational institutions, I think just allowing for mental health days, you know, as an individual, your mind and your body will start to tell you when you need a break. And if you don't listen to it, I think that's when terrible stress turns to burnout. And so, you know, we're very lucky that we have a lot of really understanding professors in our department who know that we are working very hard and we need days off occasionally just to listen to our minds and our bodies and take a break and just shut off for a little bit. At least I... I entirely agree. I do think that our professors in our specific program are pretty understanding, probably because they've had several years in training in mental health, you know, because they are also board certified music therapists. But the attendance policies in lots of music major classes are extremely strict um, to a point where like if you don't have a fever, then you are supposed to be in in your seat, which is kind of insane, especially when like for me personally, I'm a vocalist. So my body is my instrument. I can't just put it away or, you know, put it back in its case sort of thing. It's with me everywhere I go. No, I also just want to add to that with the attendance policy. I don't know if it's like this with like other institutions or other like fields, but especially at the music school, it's like if you miss one class with that, that's not excused, your grade drops an entire letter. So it's like you have all of that pressure on you as well that you have to be showing up for class or else your grade is going to drop a significant amount. Yeah, I think especially with, you know, the recent year in the pandemic, it's been a very unique year because all of a sudden a lot of us have been taking classes at home and on our computers. And to some extent, it's nice because it cuts down on travel time. But at the same time, you're still expected to just turn that computer screen on every day and pay attention. And I get a lot of screen fatigue, I'll tell you that, just staring at a screen, I can't focus, I feel run down, and sometimes it feels like there's more work than I can keep up with because, you know, you're expected you're at at home, you don't have to come to school, classes online, that's easy, you can handle more work, and I think that definitely ups the stress levels because now I can't even go home to escape school stress because the school stress has come to me, Um, which I think leads me into another question that I wanted to post to you guys, which is, you know, we've talked so much about what contributes to student stress. So at what point do you think that stress becomes burnout? 
because you can be stressed without being burnt out, but you know, what's the tipping point? I know for me, a lack of motivation to do anything is when I know that I am reaching that tipping point. Um, I know when I don't even want to brush my teeth anymore, that burnout is here. It is here. Um, because for me, my activities of daily living, as we call them clinically, um, are extremely important to my mental health and knowing where I'm at just for myself. That may be different for other people, but it's, it's one of the most important things for me, like making sure I'm eating three square meals a day, getting, you know, roughly seven, eight hours of sleep, going to bed at a decent time, washing my face and brushing my teeth and taking my medicine at night. If I'm not doing those things and I don't even want to do those things to make myself feel better, then I know that I am at that tipping point. Yeah, kind of piggybacking off of Katie, I completely agree with that in the sense that once I don't have the motivation to do really anything, that's when I know that the burnout is there. And that's not even to say like, oh, I just don't have the motivation for school. It's, you know, I don't have the motivation to hang out with my friends. I don't have the motivation to even like want to go into work. And so I think especially when that starts to turn into like extreme anxiety, for me, that's when I really realized that I'm doing too much and I'm putting so much strain on my uh, mind and body because I'm thinking so much about everything that I have to get done that I just want to completely forget about it. And that causes intense anxiety. And I feel like a lot of people can really resonate with that too. I know that I think it's really easy for feelings of burnout in one section of your life to really bleed into other sections. Like I, my main source of burnout, yes, is school, but my motivation to go to work is low and I don't have any like at home activities to do from work. I go to work and I do it and then I come home and that's it. Right. But that doesn't mean that I still have feelings of burnout from that. My, I know that my anxiety levels are increasing like Katie was saying, if when I'm really burnt out, I find myself eating like once a day. And then I'm like, you need to feed yourself more than once a day. Um, I just think burnout can be so all encompassing that it affects every area of your, of your life. And then it can become overwhelming. Before, and then by the time you realize it, it's too late. And then that's when you have to start taking steps to decrease your burnout and take care of yourself. Yeah, and along with that, Jillian, one of the things that is interesting about that statement that you just said, when you're burnt out, it's already too late by the time you realize it, um, and you have to take steps to get back into it. And I think one of the reasons that it's hard to realize that we are getting burnt out and we are hitting that point is because of how glamorized it is for young people to, you know, oh, I worked so hard that I forgot to eat for a full day and I'm getting all straight A's and I have a 4.0 and I work, you know, 40 hours a week and I'm the best at what I'm doing. When really 
no, they're not. Their work is not good. You know, things are falling apart because there is a large culture, especially online and social social media, where those symptoms of burnout that we mentioned previously are glamorized. Katie and Jillian, you both mentioned like, oh, I know I'm burnt out when I'm only eating one meal a day. And that was in the literal definition that we gave at the top of the episode on burnout and compassion fatigue and the symptoms that come along with it. So I think that's the biggest thing is there are physical symptoms that come with it. I know for me, I can tell I'm burned out when my mind and body are sending me messages and I'm just not listening to them. You know, some days my mind tells me, you need to have a good cry in your car. And I'm like, nope, I don't have time to cry in my car. I got to do this. I got to do this. And it's like, no. And I'm not saying that, you know, you should just break free and cry in your car. I'm saying you need to listen to what your emotions are telling you. You need to be, you need to give yourself time to, you know, release that stress or release that emotion or release whatever it is that is holding you back from, you know, enjoying your day-to-day life and getting that eight hours of sleep and having the mental capacity to eat three meals a day and brush your teeth. And, you know, I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard when it came comes to dealing with burnout and dealing with self-care is that it really is something that's preventative. Sometimes burnout, you don't realize you're burnout until it's too late and then it's so hard to come out of it. But that's why I think when it comes to self-care, those preventative steps that you can take are really what are going to help prolong you and what are going to help reduce your stress on the day to day. Um, I know one of our professors, um, Professor Kelsey Lowndes, talks a lot about um, in her presentations on self-care about how, you know, it should be something that you're able to work into your day to day. It should not be something that you escape to. Um, And above all, self-care is not always something that's pretty. It's not bubble baths and face masks and doing your nails and having a girl's night. No, like self-care is writing in your planner. Self-care is buying healthy foods from the grocery store. Self-care is forcing yourself to do a 10-minute workout because even if you really don't want to, because you know that it'll get those endorphins going. Self-care is forcing yourself to get out of bed in the morning no matter how hard it is. And so, you know, certain things that are preventative measures are really some of the most beneficial self-care things you can do despite the fact that they might be hard or not pretty. And so I guess I want to hear from you guys, what are self-care practices that you think actually work that aren't just giving yourself a little treat at the end of the night when you've had a bad day? Like what actually helps with self-care? The part where you mentioned like having a good cry in your car, that reminded me of a conversation that I had with my therapist and she was telling me, we were talking about burnout um, and she was saying, you know, like it's really important to, you know, as silly as this sounds, plan out, you know, not necessarily your day-to-day activities, but like it's important to plan out when you're going to take time for yourself. And so maybe that's every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. for 30, you're going to just lay in bed or you're going to watch a video or you're going to take a shower or you're going to complete an assignment that's easy, something like that. But like planning out when to spend time for yourself, because I know for me, before I started doing that, I would not do anything for myself you know it would just be like go 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 
And then the more I thought about it after that conversation with her, I was like, you know, it really is important because I have, you know, my classes are planned, my work schedule is planned. So why not plan when I'm going to, you know, literally lay in my bed and watch as dumb as that sounds like it is really important. Just plan 30 minutes to an hour to three days a week that you can just spend doing whatever you want to do. Um, so for me, that I think that that is something that I would um, try to keep doing and kind of contribute to my self-care. I know for me, um, specifically related to music and music therapy, I've heard a lot of my classmates say that one of the things that has suffered most when they get really stressed or burned out is their relationship to music. So right now, I'm in the middle of learning what feels like an infinite amount of songs for an upcoming internship and current practicum. And I find myself not wanting to pick up the guitar, not wanting to play music in the car. And music is something that I love. It's something we all love. It's why we got into this. So I think finding ways, especially in this field, to have music for yourself and music that you're only playing it for you. You're not playing it to learn. There's no sneaky agenda of like, yeah, I'm playing for this for myself, but secretly I'm learning that for a client that I have to meet with next Tuesday. So I'm actually doing work. No, just your favorite song. Doesn't matter how bad you sound on the guitar. Doesn't matter how out of key you're singing. Just you're playing it for yourself and you're enjoying your music or you are putting on the cheesiest pop song from when you were 13 and screaming it at the top of your lungs in your car just finding ways, for me especially, finding ways to feel like my music is for me again is something that helps just wipe the stress away. So, uh, Cece, you mentioned your therapist. I have found that therapy is my number one self-care, um, which I am extremely privileged to be able to afford Um but I have gone to therapy off and on for a really long time. I'm, I'm 22 now, and I think I've been doing it on and off since I was, like, maybe 10. Um, but because of that, I thought, oh, no, I'm really good at therapy. I know how to do it. Um, I can't handle this. I can handle it. It's not true. I uh, can't handle it. And... <laughs> Uh, therapy is really important. It's really, really important. And it's hard to find a good therapist. And Elise, to what you were saying before, um, I was discussing with my therapist how much I dislike music and how much it feels like a job to me. And she was like, well, you need to go back and listen to music before it started feeling like a job. And we kind of figured out together that for me, that was middle school. So um, my best therapy advice from my therapist was to listen to One Direction and old Taylor Swift and Five Seconds of Summer. So self-care. <laughs> um, I think my self-care thing that I do is taking a shower every day. Um. I know that I always infinitely feel, even if I like haven't done anything and I'm not like dirty, I always know that I, after I go a shower, I will feel at least somewhat better. Um, and I think, and like a good example of that is back last semester, I had the coronavirus 
and I had it, and then my fiance had it right after me, and so I was quarantined for at least like a month, um, and I wasn't going anywhere, and we were both low, lonely and bored, and I realized that I would go like almost a week, that sounds gross, almost a week without showering, and I'm like, why am I doing this? I mean, I know I don't have anywhere to go, but I know that I always feel better after I take a shower, so I would get up and I would take a shower, and I would feel like a million bucks and just I think things that things that don't even feel like normally their self-care can be just things that are just things you do on a daily basis I I definitely agree with that I know that I found that something that worked really well for me is the whole oh if you look good you feel good motto and it sounds like a very vain one but Honestly, when I, you know, I put an outfit together for myself, whether it's the night before or the morning of, I put a little makeup on, do my hair, even like it's just something I do for me. It's something that gives me time to myself in the morning. And I don't even care if it's a little vain. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel more productive. And it gives me a much better start to my day as opposed to like a noticeably better start to my day as opposed to when I roll out of bed and immediately open my camera to join zoom class and I'm still in my pajamas and no one knows I just feel better when I actually put a little bit of effort into how I'm starting my day um speaking of real quick I wanted to mention you said talking about having a good day I think that one thing that is so important that I don't even remember where I heard it but I try to keep this in mind is people think about having a bad day and they think, say in the morning you get out of bed and you get ready for school and you leave and you like have a flat tire, right? And that sucks. And you can either get a ride or get a fix or whatever. And then people are like, I'm going to have a bad day or like my day was awful because I got a flat tire. I try to not think like that. Say, yeah, you had, a bad thing happened to you, but that doesn't mean that your day is going to be bad. Like the rest of the day could be amazing and you're not having a bad day just because one bad thing happened to you. And I think having that mentality um, can be a really positive thing. I think that all of these strategies and, you know, this helpful advice that we've all mentioned is really great. And I think that those things are really important to remind yourself, especially for us at this point in our life, you know, we're about to enter our internship, we'll be entering the working world. And, you know, working world brings on a whole new set of stressors compared to the academic one. And I think that's why it's so important to remember what really works for you in terms of self-care. It's going to allow you to take those preventative measures. It's going to allow you to know what to do when it's your very first time stressed out at your big kid job. You know what to do now, which leads us into a few statistics we want to mention right before we interview our very own professional. Um, we, as we mentioned, we did a bit of research on this topic, specifically how burnout affects professionals, because we as students can't really speak to what it's like. And one of the most surprising statistics that we learned from our research that we did is the most recent study on the topic suggests that the average music therapist remains in the field for 17 years. So that was something surprising to us because I think especially we've all been raised with the mindset of, oh, you go to college, you pick a job, and then you work it until you retire. We were like, well, 
we're not retiring in seven years, so what does that mean? Um, so that was one surprising statistic that we're going to dive a little bit into on why that might be um, in our interview with our professional. And some of the factors that weigh on professional burnout the most are degree level, um, whether or not you got your degree at a four-year institution or maybe you got a bachelor's degree and then a master's, maybe you went on and got a doctorate in something as well. Your pay grade is also a factor and the institutional support is one of the largest factors when it comes to job satisfaction and longevity in the field. The development of specific coping skills or engagement in certain self-care practices with what relative frequency may assist music therapists in mitigating sources of work-related stress, helping them stay in the field longer. So now we are going to hear from our amazing professional music therapist, Erin Haney, all about some of her experiences as a professional, as well as about some of the research that she has done on the topic of burnout. My name is Erin Haney, and I went to Berkeley College of Music for my degree in music therapy. And um, I did my internship with the Community Music Center of Boston, which is an organization, nonprofit organization that um, specifically works in the community music therapy world. And so we worked with lots of different organizations throughout the Boston area. And my work was primarily with uh, adults with developmental disabilities, but we also worked with many other types of populations as well, including um, youth and adolescents. Since I finished my internship, I worked at a behavioral health hospital, and then I worked at a assisted living facility, both in Boston area. And I am currently not working in the field of music therapy. I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus from it. Obviously, with COVID, everything's gotten a little um, challenging in obviously many ways. So I have taken a step back from music therapy for the moment, but uh, that's been my experience so far. So I came into music therapy actually as a second career. I returned back to school as a, uh, what we call an older student <laughs> uh, when I went to Berkeley for my music therapy degree. Uh, my first career was in business. I was working in business, specifically in music business, for over a decade and was just really looking for something different, something where I could be working more hands-on with people and um, helping people and in a more creative way, using music more creatively and therapeutically. And I, I had heard of music therapy but didn't even really know much about it. And as soon as I started researching it, I just kind of knew immediately, like, I have to do this. And I was living in California at the time and um, started researching music schools that offered the music therapy degree. Came across Berkeley's program, which really appealed to me being that it's um, a music school and, you know, specifically a, co a music college. I pursued Berkeley's program and ended up moving out to Boston in 2016 across the country, which was like, you know, leaving a corporate job and moving across the country to go back to school um, was, it was pretty, you know, scary and definitely challenging in many ways, but um, it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. The more I learned about music therapy, the more I just fell in love with it. In terms of why I'm not doing it now, there's several life factors that come into play, but I really, to be honest with you, I 
got a little bit burnt out <laughs> during my internship and, you know, finishing up my internship right when COVID started. And then I had these two jobs that didn't last very long um, for different reasons. It was really, really difficult. And I, I think I got a little bit burnt out. And I'm not, you know, saying that I'm walking away from the profession at all, but I just decided that I needed some time away to do something different and sort of not have to give that much of myself every day. And I just, you know, decided that I wanted to just do something that I could do from home and do something almost mindless in a way, just to kind of take a break from it. But um, I just really needed to step away from it because the, the two job experiences that I had were pretty negative. And, and I don't want that to be, you know, what my career looks like. So we're going to get into your presentation from national conference a little bit it is called the b word <laughs> what were some of the most interesting things that you discovered when researching for your presentation so many things were just really interesting and sort of surprising one thing that i did in the at the very beginning of my research process was i created a student survey that i sent out everywhere that I could possibly think of <laughs> to get students to complete the survey just to kind of get like a pulse of what people were thinking about burnout, what, you know, if if they felt burnout, if they even knew what it meant, if they were taking advantage of their school's resources, if they felt supported on campus, things like that. Then in the other research that I found, there's just so much, you know, to dig into. And burnout is something that I think in, in our undergraduate studies, you know, sometimes it comes up, you know, self-care and you got to take care of yourself and balance. And, you know, we hear this word burnout, but to me, at least what I felt when I first started deciding to, to do this research is I'd heard this word, people talk about it, but nobody ever says, man, I'm really burnout. And not only that, but what does it even mean? We never really go into the depth of, of what this word encompasses. And so that's why I called my presentation the B word because it's something that we hear all the time and it's like this catchy little phrase or something that people say, and, but it really, there's so much more to it. And, and it's almost like the word itself doesn't even get into what it really is. And so the, the definition that I found for burnout that seemed to resonate most closely with the other research I found is that it's a syndrome of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and reduced personal accomplishments that occur uh, with people who work with humans. So it stems from the work that you do with other human beings. So basically like giving, giving yourself to others in that way is what can cause this syndrome. And those are the sort of the three main tiers of symptoms, so to speak, you know, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a feeling of reduced accomplishment. Really, the survey results of, from what I got back from the students that I surveyed was really probably the most interesting part of the research because it was taking real real time data from people who were actually students at that time and the most prevalent facts was that most students said that they were feeling burnout 60 to 80% of the time 
And then also that only 50% of people surveyed said that they ever took advantage of any of their college's resources for self-help or care or therapeutic resources that college may provide. And then that got me into, I went down like a whole other rabbit hole with that because I started thinking, what is available to students? You know, what is the availability? Do they even know that these resources exist? And why are they not accessible? And if they are accessible, are they actually doing any good? So then I I got into this whole research bubble about, you know, like how many colleges have counseling services and how many counselors are there on each campus and how many students is each counselor responsible for. And the statistics on that are just like really mind-blowing at how how little um, support there is for students on campuses and how and how difficult it is to seek it out. Not to mention, obviously, the stigma that we all know about mental health and seeking out help or treatment for mental health issues, especially in a college setting, is extremely difficult. And to, to make those resources harder to get to just kind of puts you even farther away from getting the help that you need. There is so much research that I found that kind of kept spurring and like sort of snowballing me into other aspects of this because, you know, burnout is one thing, but then like, what do you do about the burnout and how do you know when you're burnout? So that was another thing that I really, I couldn't really figure out, like, what do we do to to know whether or not we actually have burnout? So I created this assessment tool and it's a few pages long, I believe, and there's a few different sections and you just answer these different questions, rating them on a scale of one to five, and then at the end you add up your score and it kind of tells you like where you are on this quote unquote burnout scale. And I, you know, kind of tested this with different people and different groups and obviously at the conference as well. And from from the feedback I got, it seemed like it it seemed to be a pretty accurate gauge for people of where they were feeling in terms of the burnout scale. How have you found that that research transfers to a professional setting? And, you know, what happens when burnout students become burnout professionals? From my own personal experience, going from student to intern to working professional, all of this stuff, you know, kind of, to me, it could it could easily just mirror what a professional is going through. Obviously, you have some different aspects of reasons for stress and burnout between students and professionals, but a lot of the majority of the causes are really similar. You know, chronic stress uh, and excess uh, overload of workload, feeling a lack of support, and, you know, just the outpour of emotional energy that you have to have when you're doing this work whether as uh, an intern or a professional. So I think that I think that most of the research really just shows up pretty much exactly the same in the professional world. What happens when a burnout student becomes a burnout music therapist? It's not good. And I think that, you know, kind of a little bit of what I'm personally going through right now um, Finishing my my internship, which was, it was supposed to be a nine-month internship because it was part-time, but it ended up being like 11 or 12 months, mostly because of COVID. And, you know, so the the end of my internship, the last maybe third or quarter of it, ended up being all remote and doing virtual sessions, 
which was really hard. So I think the biggest hurdle in going from student to intern to professional is the change in the level of support that you have from your peers, your supervisor, your professors. When you're in school, you know, you have everybody else around you. Pre-COVID, I'll say, being around your peers every day, having in-person classes, having the in-person support of your, um, you know, your supervisors and your professors and this and that. And then once you become an intern, depending upon your internship, you know, whether or not you're working with other interns or other professionals, it's a total 180. And I had, I, I worried about this ahead of time and it kind of did manifest in that way where, you know, I felt like I had a pretty decent support system of peers when I was in school at Berkeley. And then going into my internship, you're sort of on your own. I mean, you have your supervisor, obviously, and they're there all the time, which is great. And I had an incredible supervisor. But that's it, you and the supervisor and the clients or patients that you're working with. And it can feel a little bit isolating. And then going into a professional setting, um, I found this same issue. My first job as a music therapist after my internship was at a behavioral health hospital, like I mentioned, and I was actually part of the activities therapy department. And my direct boss was a social worker who was the director of clinical operations. And there was zero interaction between this person, my boss, and the people in my department. So there was no support whatsoever, no feedback, no supervision, no, no, no one even ever coming into any sessions to observe or anything, nothing. So, you know, even like prepping for sessions, I, I had no help, no support, no advice, nothing. And so you're even more so just completely on your own. Now, that's not to say that all jobs are like that. I think that this was a particularly um, difficult situation that I was in. You know, you may or may not be working with other music therapists. Even if you're in, uh, you know, like a medical or a clinical setting, you'll probably be working more so with um, people of other disciplines, which is great, but they're not music therapists and they don't really know what you're going through or what you're dealing with. So, you know, you could be getting professional feedback from no one or from someone who doesn't really know what music therapy is. So seeking out that support and peer supervision and supervision outside of your day-to-day job, I think is so important because I, I have found that that is the hardest part of this process. It can lead to total burnout. When do you know when to take a break? That's really hard because recognizing it in yourself is, is really difficult, especially if you tend to be sort of a overachiever or, you know, someone that just kind of like really wants to keep going and push through it. And sometimes we don't even always recognize it in ourselves, which is, you know, really difficult because once we get to the point where other people are recognizing it, it, it's already gotten bad. It's so tricky to be able to sort of figure out when you're getting to the point of like, okay, I've had enough. I am burnt out. I can't do this anymore. It's taking a toll on myself and my life. And uh, to be honest with you, for my, myself personally, without other people seeing that in me, 
I probably would have pushed through a little bit longer than I did. But I think ultimately the lack of self-awareness is just number one. And I think that just knowing what these symptoms are or what to look out for is really important. And I don't think people really know that. Having chronic stress or physical symptoms is huge. And to me, that's a sign of like, okay, something is going on that my body is recognizing, but my brain hasn't figured it out yet. So, you know, looking out for things like that, of course, getting a bad night of sleep one night when you're stressed about, you know, the, something that's going on the next day, that's like normal and happens to everybody. And that's not what I'm talking about here. This is prolonged days, weeks, even months of having multiple symptoms of things like chronic fatigue or insomnia or things like changes in appetite or just feeling sort of like you don't really care about what you're doing. Neglecting your own needs, your, your own like biological needs is just really important to just check in with ourselves. And sometimes, and probably we don't realize that we're burnt out until we're already past the point of being burnt out. So catching it and, and stopping it and sort of mitigating the symptoms and, and realizing what is causing it and then actually being able to make a change and do something about it, that is really like the biggest challenge. I think that we all have to be responsible for our own selves, you know, being aware of what's going on for ourselves. I think that finding a, a job or a role in the professional world that really is suited for you and not taking just any job, just because it's a job where you can do music therapy, I think it's really important. And sometimes you know that ahead of time, which is great. And other times you have to go through it to know it. I think that setting yourself up for success looks like knowing who your support system is going to be within that company, job, hospital, whatever it might be within the organization that you're working with. And that's, you know, not always easy to do. Do you think that there are any specific personality traits that you think that lend themselves to burnout? And um, on the other side of that, do you think those personality traits that you think help people combat burnout? Well, there are definitely um, personality traits that can contribute to burnout. This was actually in my presentation. I did touch on it earlier about the perfectionist tendencies type A personality, sort of overachiever, people that are more prone to being anxious or, you know, have a high sensitivity level, which can mean a lot of different things. A lot of different personality traits definitely can make you more prone to burnout, sort of like, you know, I'm just going to push through it. It'll be fine. It's hard, but, you know, it'll get better. And, you know, sometimes that's all true, but you have to know when to stop because you can have that mentality and just want to keep doing it. And it's almost like you want to try to like beat it somehow. Oh, I'm not going to get burnt out. I got this. Like I'm on top of it. I know what I'm doing. I'm stressed, but you know, it'll all be fine. I, I, I can do it. It's really hard when you are sort of someone who tends to that thinking to recognize the, the burnout symptoms and signs. I think those are obviously the, the traits that can make you not only more prone to burnout, but less prone to recognizing that you're burnout. Ultimately, the word resilience comes to mind. 
because it's really, really easy to start to feel like a failure. When you begin to recognize that you're burnout and you need to take a break, and even if that means stepping away from the profession for a period of time, it's easy to go to the place in your mind that says, I failed, I couldn't do it, I'm not good enough, I can't handle it, why can everybody else do this but I can't, you know, comparing yourself to others and, you know, just really having all that negative self-talk is a huge challenge. And I mean, obviously, we go through that as, as students, too, when you're, this isn't obviously just related to pr being a professional, but as students, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I was constantly comparing myself to other people in my program. And, you know, they're better at this. I'm never going to be as good at X as they are. And how am I ever going to be, uh, you know, make it in this business, I mean, in this profession. And all of that's going to happen. And I think on some level, it's natural to, you know, as human beings, we compare ourselves to others. But being able to realize that that's going to happen and it's okay, but then kind of eventually be able to get on the other side of it. Again, that, that resilience and that mindset or mentality that, you know, this is a bump in the road. This is not the end of my career. This doesn't mean that I'm not good enough. This doesn't mean that I can't be a music therapist. This doesn't mean that I'm going to fail all my classes. This, this is a period of time, a moment in time where I need to step back and say, what can I do that is going to better serve me than what I'm doing right now? Because if it's prolonged, it can become really, really bad. Just being able to step back and try to give yourself some grace and realize that it's not the end of anything and having the resilience to go back and do it again, go back and try it again, go back and, you know, if, take that course again that you failed or, or ace the next test or whatever it might be, you know, just keep going, realize what's happening, recognize it, acknowledge it, adjust whatever needs to be shifted within your, your life and and keep going just knowing who you are and what you're capable of and remembering absolutely all great, remembering all the great things you can do i think <laughs> yes 100 percent. and knowing that your tolerance level for a certain thing might be higher or lower than somebody else's somebody else might have the exact same job as you and it works for them and for you it's it doesn't and that's okay and, you know, it's hard to believe that or, you know, sitting next to someone in class who is 4.0, acing every test, can play every instrument in the world and is a fantastic singer and whatever, and not saying to yourself, oh, my God, I am such a failure. I suck. This person is so much better than me. And actually believing that that's not true is really hard. But I think that that's part of what could potentially mitigate getting super burnout is just knowing that everybody's different. And if you're burnout, it's okay. You know, we just have to adjust and figure out how to continue forward um, in another way. So we've talked a ton about what burnout looks like and feels like, and then what might lead to those feelings of stress. Um, and you said some really encouraging things. So we appreciate that. To end on a lighter note, what are some of your favorite self-care practices? Um, 
when you're feeling a bit overwhelmed and you need to take a break? I think that lately, and especially during COVID and all that, um, going for walks it has been huge for me personally, um, you know, and either listening to a music or a podcast or not listening to anything and just being with my thoughts um, and going for a nice long walk by myself. That has been really helpful for me. You know, I think that meditation is really helpful for, for a lot of people. It's hard to <laughs> it's hard to force yourself to do it sometimes, um, especially when you're busy, but I think it can be extremely beneficial. And something that I've tried to pay attention to more recently is just breathing. The power of the breath is huge, and it sounds so silly and cliche to say that, but um, if you can just like focus on your breathing for even like 30 seconds a day and, and sort of just be aware of it and slow it down, I think that that could um, potentially be, you know, really helpful. Let's see, other things, I personally love um, bubble baths. And you can never go wrong with like a good Netflix binge watch sesh. So yeah, I think for me, those are probably the, the top things right now. How about you guys? Do you have any good ones? Mine is also taking walks and <laughs> listening to podcasts. I love mm, a podcast. Nice. Or going on like a yeah. nice drive to a park and getting something to eat and just like people watching or like watching the sun. Yeah. Doing that. I think for me, it like you were saying all about finding your support system, especially during COVID. Um, I was fortunate enough, you know, I had good roommates and then for a while I was home with my family as well and I have a good relationship with them. So awesome. just spending time with people that I can relax around and that can help take my mind off things and like just having time mm -hmm. to relax and hang out and laugh with my friends, I think has been one of the biggest things especially during these times that has helped me yeah just really yeah. de-stress mine i For think sure. is one of my big ones is just hanging out with my dog um i i find I, we Aww, yeah husband, so we got him yes. april 1st of last year so right as quarantine was starting and he was like he hmm. i can tell you that this past year would have been even more awful than it already was without having him and um, and sometimes I try to remember that, like, I'm so busy and my fiance is so busy and we're working all the time that sometimes I just try to, like, remember to take time for him and take him on long walks and give him extra snuggles. And then that helps me, too, because he's, like, happy to see me. Yeah. Oh, he's absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Pets are, are amazing. Well, Erin Haney, thank you so much. This has been <laughs> such a joy. To speak oh, you're so you. welcome. I appreciate yeah. it. I'm glad mm -hmm. that you guys chose to look into yeah. this topic a little bit more. I think it's really important. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Thank you. Yeah, I think so much. Of, yeah, I think so much mm -hmm. of what you said today is really mm -hmm. going to hit home for a lot of people. And I think whether or not you realize that a lot of what you said, I think is going to help a lot of people realize burnout and, you know, address it within themselves. Yeah. So thank you so much for, you know, sharing all of the research that you've done and just sharing your thoughts on the topic. This has Absolutely. Been a really it's my pleasure for us. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Check, 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 check.